Hello everyone. Thanks for tuning into the Leading Safely podcast. Today, I have a serial podcaster with me. Now, just because he's a serial podcaster doesn't mean that you've heard everything he has to say. Today's guest is, of course, Clive Lloyd. Now, Clive is an Australian psychologist specialising in safety leadership and culture development. He was recently named among the top 50 global thought leaders and influencers on culture by Thinkers360. He is co-owner of and principal consultant with GYST Consulting, Proprietary Limited, and developer of the acclaimed Care Factor program. Clive has spent the last 20 years assisting organisations to improve their safety performance by developing trust and psychological safety and doing safety differently. He has worked with global mining, oil and gas, construction and utilities companies in Australia, New Zealand and throughout the world. He is the author of Next Generation Safety Leadership from Compliance to Care. And I highly recommend if you haven't read this book already that you do get your hands on it and read it as quick as you can. Clive has been called on by many global companies as their human factors technical advisor, assisting them to improve their safety culture and performance. He is devoted to applying cutting-edge psychological research to safety leadership and creating caring cultures which are prerequisites to excellence in safety performance. So let's get into my chat with Clive. Hi Clive, thanks for taking time out of your super busy day to chat with me Uh, and I am looking forward to chatting more about trust and the models for selection and practice when it comes to health and safety. Uh, As you know, I've been asking all of my special guests three general questions um, because I'm curious when it comes to things like those magical solutions, which I'm sure you have a very interesting one for us. Um, So let's Uh, get into those juicy questions. Great. And thanks for having me on, Georgina. And yeah, I had a quick look at those questions. Man, number three is a killer. But anyway, we'll get to that. (laughs) No worries, Clive. Um, So what do you think makes an effective leader when it comes to health and safety? Okay, so look, I don't necessarily distinguish that much between um, a leader in health and safety and a leader, say, more generically. I, I think the fundamental attributes are the same. Um, of, of course, there may well be some uh, specialist knowledge in health and safety, but I think the key attributes are the same. And look, if I start off nice and broadly, there are three major factors, I think, three headings. And as mm-hmm. I wrote about in my book, those three main factors would be number one, integrity. Uh, number two, ability or competence. It's not all about people skills. Uh, and third, what I describe as benevolence or all I mean by benevolence here is sort of demonstrated care or the willingness and the ability to demonstrate care. So maybe let me just come back to those three because many other attributes would flow, of course, from those three. But that integrity piece, um, you know, it's going to be really challenging for a leader to create trust, um, psychological safety, all of those desirable things, if they simply are not demonstrating integrity, doing what they said they would do, following through. Um, It also infers things like genuineness, openness, uh, and and so So I think that is is one of the big ones. Now, again, I'm not sure that's something we can train. Uh, I think integrity is much more of a a personality variable, a value, if you will, but I, I still think that's a really big one. Uh, with the ability piece, and this is really important, um, you know, leaders need to demonstrate that they are good at what they're supposed to be good at. Now, again, it doesn't mean we have to be good at everything. Uh, nobody is. I'm certainly not. But in leadership roles, I think our, our people need to know that we are competent. We're, you know, we're, we're good at what we're supposed to be good at. So it's not all about people skills here. 
Uh, the third one, uh, the one which is a major focus in, in my work is, uh, again, what the academics call benevolence, or what I prefer to think of simply as that care factor, demonstrating care. So those three, I think, not only are important, but need to be demonstrated consistently. Now, again, there's a whole bunch of attributes that fall out of all three of those, of course. Uh, with that benevolence piece or that, that demonstrating care, yeah, sure, the people skills come into that, you know, the, what people might refer to as EQ. I think that's really important. But also in that, I think, is, is courage, uh, authenticity and the willingness to be vulnerable sometimes and say, you know, I don't know. Um, and maybe then to get curious and invite our people in. So those would be the, the primary attributes, I would see, of a great leader. When it comes to a health and safety leader, um, perhaps the main difference there under that ability or competence factor, that's where, of course, some specialist knowledge around risk, around risk mitigation, um, even around, you know, legislation and so forth may well be useful in that regard. But I actually think those things are secondary to uh, to yeah. the other attributes. Yeah, no, definitely. I can I can think of um, some people in my past career that um, perhaps had the competence and, you know, had the skills and qualifications, but unfortunately lacked the ben benevolence, as you said. Um, yeah. And the opposite, too. I've met some fantastic, you know, leaders who, who definitely demonstrated care and led with that emotional IQ, but didn't have the, you know, the safety qualifications, as we, you know, call them. So, yeah, yeah. it's a it's different space. Yeah, absolutely. What's that, sorry? Yeah, without that competence as well, it's difficult. Yeah. It's not enough just to demonstrate care if you're if you're hopeless at your job, right? Um, that's yeah. not going to be uh, <laughs> that's not going to garner ongoing trust for sure. Yeah, that's great. And um, what about what would be your words of wisdom for someone you know who might be dealing with a particular person that doesn't want to you know have that positive change when it comes to health and safety? Yeah. And so there's a distinguishing word that you just used there, Georgina, that positive change for safety. Mm -hmm. um, because let me suggest not all change is good. Um, Correct. Uh, and <laughs> perhaps, uh, not all change in safety necessarily is good. And I think sometimes it's reasonable for people to push back. Um, if they're certainly not convinced that the, that the change that's being advocated is actually required or if it's you know, useful or, or even if it's manageable. So um, I don't mind some resistance to change. It may be an indicator that, you know, it's it's not the resistance that's the problem. It's, it's the fact that the change itself um, is not necessarily required or useful or simply that people just don't buy into the idea. Uh, look, this is something I do come across, of course, a lot given the role I'm in, um, often from um, you know, boards or executives who tend to be, uh, understandably, a little bit risk averse, uh, particularly when it comes to changing safety. You know, there's, there's all manner of legal and ethical implications involved in that. And so sometimes it's safety managers or safety personnel. We're used to doing it this way. And what's all this newfangled stuff you're talking about? And there's a natural resistance to change because frankly, people aren't really fans of it necessarily. It, it, it often does involve uh, cognitive effort, um, unlearning and relearning, that's all work and they're usually very, very you know, busy people. So I found over, over these, you've got to, number one, make the case for change. You've got to help people to understand, um, you know, what's in it for them, that old them thing. But mm -hmm. I, I also sort of, I differentiate here between uh, change that's purely being imposed by the, um, by the leadership or management versus change by choice. 
um, you know, when people want to change intrinsically, that's going to be a whole easier thing to actually get people underway. But, um, you know, I'm a coach at heart as well as being a psychologist. I'm a coach and coaching 101 says we'll start with the goal in mind. And so that's where I'll usually go first is, is to look at the goal. If there's change being flagged or if we suggest something does need to change, I'll just get or do the best I can anyway to align people around a goal. Um, and if we can find that common goal, if we can agree on the goal, then generally um, it's a lot easier to bring people forward. And I, I think that's where my effort tends to go. Um, managing the case for changes, let's just get really unified on what the goal is. Because frankly, if the workforce don't agree with the goal that management has, it's mm -hmm. going to be incredibly challenging. Uh, yep. The same with me, you know, when I when I step into a, a, a one day workshop with the crew level guys, and their management have maybe said, you're going to a one day safety course. You know, they're usually mm -hmm. not coming in terribly infused. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so what I've learned to do, Georgina, is, is to right at the outset, pace out those potential objections. You know, I'll, I'll be authentic in it and say, right, put your hand up when you were told it was a safety course. If you were infused by that, not many hands go up. <laughs> so look, an honest group's a good group. Let's, let's talk about it then, because I'm here for a day. You know, we can make our mind what we're going to do within that day. But I say, like, tell me about your goals in life. You know, even take work out of the equation. And people will yeah. talk about that stuff. You know, they're bringing their kids up, their finances, their their relationships often come up. Work, of course, is something they feel they have to do, and they're probably right. And so forth. So we align then, we, we get some of those common goals. And then I add that, hey, this course we're doing today is really, it's a psychology course that help you to meet your goals, meet your needs. Um, you know, safety is going to be part of that. We're going to uh, actually you know, leverage from this in terms of talk about. But again, I'll pace out the objections, align the group around some common goals. And then usually what comes after that is, is a lot more straightforward. So I know I've rabbited on a bit there, but I think aligning people around a goal and, and making the case for change is just really important. Yeah. I think um, what you just said there reminds me of sitting in a lot of very old school inductions with, you know, when a trainer puts up their objectives for the course and, you know, often mm. it's the objectives of the organisation or the RTO that puts them up, yeah. you know, here, here's the outcomes as opposed to, well, what would the students or the attendees like to get out of the session? So I think yeah. it's great that you've been able to, um, I don't want to use the word manipulate, but in a way it's kind of, <laughs> you know, let's, like, uh, yeah, you know, let's like go with influence. That's it. Influence what the organisation is wanting you to achieve by their outcomes, as well as, you know, get the students kind of, you know, what they want and then come together to come up to some sort of common goal that they could all work with towards. So, yeah. yeah all too often, Georgina, the, the goals actually do have some degree of alignment. I mean, yeah. there's usually things that we have in common. We all want to, you know, we don't want to hurt people or to frame that in a positive yeah. way. We want people to be okay, both physically and emotionally. We all have very similar goals at the heart, um, but often we don't take the time up front to actually make yeah. that clear, to make that mm -hmm. evident. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, it's always a lot better if you have willing participants in a classroom with you and not 15 oh. you know people who've been pushed by their organization to do a safety you know in quote quotation marks um course yeah. as well so that, that's good um tips for all our trainers and facilitators out there as oh, well it's huge one of um one of our colleagues um he often refers to it as um, he's phoned me up a couple of mornings when the group have walked in, you know, and, and often yeah. it's because management have introduced to their people, you're going to a one day safety training course. <laughs> That's it. 
And uh, he says, All right, I've got 16 prisoners in front of me. <laughs> That's how they feel, you know. And so we, we've just learned largely through desperation. We've really learned to pace out those objections, get really good goals and move it from yep. there. So, yeah, a little tip to all facilitators and presenters out there. That's great. And um, finally, it's that lovely, juicy question that you've been looking forward to. Ah. Um, so <laughs> if you could invent something to solve a health and safety issue in the workplace, I mean, you had a million dollars in opinions and expenditure, everything like that, that normally controls how that outcome looks like is not there. What would you invent and why would you create it? Yeah, it's such a great question, but I freaked out when I read it. <laughs> you know, okay. I don't think I'm um, necessarily the most creative person in the world or something, but I looked at that and I thought, wow, no uh, restrictions here on expenditure no. or opinions. And so like, we're going into this land of um, fantasy, I guess, So, which, which actually helped me to reframe it because I was struggling. Okay. So my reframe is, oh, all right, so this gizmo, this, this creation, this machine or this whatever it is, it can be whatever I like, right? Yeah. And so, right. so let me go with it. And look, who knows? Maybe this has already been done. Um, or if <laughs> okay. it isn't, maybe maybe somebody's going to jump all over it, or at least part of it. But look, to, to make it easier for myself, um, you, you put there um, a, a health and safety issue. So I thought, it, well, let me get specific about that. What could, what's an example of an issue? And I thought, what's one of the most frequent ones I do encounter. And I'm going to go with this one, Georgina, and that is related to decluttering or safety clutter, which people thankfully are starting to talk about a fair bit now. And this is something I encounter a lot. And um, so I thought, well, organisations, when we do talk about decluttering, they really struggle with it. You know, they've got reams and reams of policies and procedures and safety yep. management systems and look part of our course we talk from the workforce point of view about the limitations you know of the conscious mind uh, you know we can only focus on one thing at a time um, that magical seven plus or minus two that's all we can hold in our conscious mind and I often say to, to safety leaders you know then they're confronted with the JCA that's like a hundred <laughs> pages long frankly yep. guys who, who is going to read that um the other thing i do note a lot is that um after an incident especially but also say after a near miss almost the reflexive response is of course to write a new policy or to amend the old policy <laughs> and yep. we keep doing that right we keep adding to the pile but everybody agrees that they do that with, with again the best of intent but then i ask the question all right i get that we do that tell me this, when do we throw the old ones away Yep. Silence, right? Because we never <laughs> throw the old ones away. And I say, well, what is the trajectory of that? And of course, the trajectory is we have roomfuls of these documents that, that are outdated. And so mm -hmm. part of that would be, part of my machine, my invention would be, and, and bear with me here. Okay. <laughs> this machine, it, it does a bunch of stuff, right? Uh, yep. First up, what I know of safety professionals, and at least this is my belief, but I think most safety professionals largely agree with me. I believe they are much better off. It's much better for them, their teams, the organisation, if they can spend time out in the field, you know, engaging in humble inquiry, overseeing things, talking to their teams. And yet most of them are stuck in the office yep. dealing with, with these this safety clutter, right? All the forms. So this machine, this gizmo, what it would do first up would add any particular changes to a policy that's required. 
And once that's done, it would know straight away by scanning everything else that uh, where the redundancies are, it would literally start deleting the old ones. Because oh, this yeah. is something that this is something that terrifies safety leaders. I say, why don't you throw the old ones away? And they say, well, because we might need it sometime in court, you know. And I say, mm -hmm. it's like de it's almost like decluttering your house, isn't it? You know, you're trying to chuck stuff out, and oh no, we might need that. And if you keep doing that, you'd throw nothing away. So this machine does it for us. Any new policy procedure system that has any redundancy built in, it automatically deletes the 3,000 other old and similar ones. Um, it can detect any policy or procedure that has not been used for the last two years. It deletes okay. it. Now, it, it also has uh, part of the deal here is it's also got an alert in its system. If that particular policy is required by law or required mm -hmm. by legislation, it has a clause that it will keep that, but alert again that, um, you know, we can still make this shorter. The other thing it's got, because I'm going to town here, Georgine, all right? Yeah, it's okay. An, Sounds like it's, it. <laughs> it's got an inbuilt translator. Ah. And that is. Unfortunately, what we tend to do often is write our safety procedures in very jargon, very legalistic mm -hmm. terms. Yep. Because I think people often think they're legal documents. Now, of course, they are not. Safety procedures are not legal documents. In fact, we can get into trouble by thinking they are. Because what, mm -hmm. what we tend to do then is write in this incomprehensible jargon that really the, the person on the, the ground doing the job probably isn't going to get anyway. So it actually automatically translates jargon and crap legalistic language into really basic, simple language to actually procedurally do the job in a very, very straightforward way. Automatically does that. And again, as well, it's always monitoring which of these policies and procedures are required by law or legislation and which are not because the excuse I often get maybe that's a harsh word the uh, <laughs> the reason people give me for not decluttering is oh yeah but we have to have the, that for the regulator mm -hmm. and I remember reading Sydney Decker's point that when you look at it actually 80% about 80% of the clutter we produce is not actually required by law but 20% maybe and so what we need is this gizmo that will automatically sort it for you. And it says, no, no, by law, you do not need any of that. That is now gone, that is redundant, leaves us purely with what we do need legally, but also what we need in very, very simple language for our crews to follow uh, with none of the repetition, uh, nothing's redundant and so forth. So that's my gizmo there, Georgina. That sounds fantastic, Clive. Would you have an alarm that's inbuilt? So when someone drafts a procedure that's, you know, too clunky or not user friendly, it like alerts them that, hey, you've yeah. written a shady document. I'm going to give you a... <laughs> I think that would be important. For, seriously, I think that would be important for the learning, right? Otherwise, people are just going to keep writing the same crap. Yeah. So I you think know, the I'm... alert... Of course, it would think... use very humanistic language as opposed to yes. saying, hoy, idiot, you know, you've just written that yeah. like a lawyer. It's just, all right, I've got a few suggestions on how we can make that clearer. Uh, it, yeah. Literally a tutorial. So that's a lovely little addition to the software. Nice one, Georgina. <laughs> you can uh, trademark that component. Thanks to me, that's fine. <laughs> you actually, um, you remind me why I do this podcast in the first place. So as a a safety professional and someone who spent you know many years on site i used to attend a lot of health and safety conferences and i i i'd hear from presenters that had done multiple qualifications and were consult consultants at a, a very high level but 
because their background is often academia and not necessarily practical on the ground kind of experience, I found that the jargon that was being used at these conferences and the terminology and the content that was coming across is often at a much higher level than what operational people, you know, boots on the ground type roles could physically grab and then go and implement immediately. And so that was the reason why I created this podcast in the first place was to talk at a level that not only I could understand and I'm happy to play translator between you know, academia and the boots on the ground type roles, but also so that if you're your standard beautiful um, you know operator out in the field is listening while they're you know plugged in on the excavator listening to the podcast they could go actually I understand exactly what you know Clive said or I understand what Georgina said and I'll go and do that right now to make my day better. So I think it's 100% important that, you know, anything, whether it be a procedure, a policy, a practical kind of tool that our people on the ground utilise is tailored to them and is user-friendly for them to use. So fantastic idea around having a, what are you going to call that machine? (laughs) Yeah, good point. I I think, well, let's just go with the declutterer. Oh, the declutterer. Uh, the other thing I did think about while you were speaking is I think you've put Greg Smith out of a job um, and perhaps <laughs> made <laughs> the, all the legal cases around, you know, what procedures and policies and his, his book on paper saying yeah, I think might become. Actually, yeah, you're right. Greg should actually become a co-designer of the declutter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be an interesting um, little collaboration. So thanks very much for that. Awesome idea, and um, our listeners heard it here first, the declutterer by Clive, perhaps (laughs) coming to stores soon. Um, So I understand, obviously, you want to talk to our listeners, uh, I guess, about trust and the variety of health and safety philosophies and mindsets around, you know, safety one, two, and all the rest of it on what to choose and, you know, selection of it. Um, So did you want to share with our listeners, I guess, your thoughts and ideas around those models and that, that trust space as well? Yeah, sure. And look, the reason I focus a lot in my work on trust is not because, you know, it's nice or desirable. It probably is. Again, it's very, very much research focused. It's based on the research. And um, for those of your followers on LinkedIn, who I'm sure it's most of, um, I did put an article out there very recently about this, if they want to sort of dig a bit deeper from from this initial conversation. But this, this, my, what I wrote about there was this um, concern that some safety leaders have because safety leaders these days are very well informed and connected via LinkedIn and other forums and podcasts like this one. Um, there's a lot of new, if you like, approaches to safety uh, as well as the old ones. So what have we got here? You know, we've got the old safety one, safety two, BBS, um, but even under the new view, um, I, you know, I often ask the new view, which one? Because we sort of, we lump them together, right? Um, people yeah. talk about safety differently and safety too, for example, interchangeably, like they're the same thing. They are not. Um, safety too, for example, is much more a focus on systems, whereas safety differently for me is much more about people. But anyway, yeah. there's uh, resilience engineering, there's HOP. There's high reliability, blah, blah, blah. And so what I've heard from a lot of safety leaders recently, either at conferences or they just email me and they say, right, Clive, all this stuff, eh? Um, which one? You know, which one should I follow? And the, the, what I'm trying to get through is, is forget the model. It's not about the model. And if I've got time just for a moment here, Georgina, this goes back uh-huh. to my, my clinical days, right? My background is clinical psychology. 
uh, there was a classic lecture when I was going through uni where the lecturer asked all of these very eager um, psychology students, clinical psychology students, right, go and have a look at these various models in cl clinical psych, because it's no different to safety, right? In clinical psychology, we've got all these models to choose from, from cognitive behavioral through to, you know, um, gestalt therapy, there's heaps of them. So anyway, homework assignment, go away, read up, come back and then talk about your preferred model mm -hmm. with your students. So we did that. We're all in groups. And the lecturers obviously done this many times before because it was amazing. Within 10 minutes, all these heated debates were beginning about why this model's the right one and why you shouldn't do that. That's crap and all of that stuff. Um, and then after a while, he let us go for 10 minutes when it was getting really cranky. And then the lecturer said, right, let's have a look at what actually predicts positive outcomes and he said looking at the model the model used it is way down the list to the point of insignificance in terms of producing um, positive outcomes let's look right at the top of the list and what's right at the top of the list is what we call the therapeutic alliance in other words the relationship between clinician and client trust essentially and for my money, it is no different whatsoever in safety. And the research bears this out. Frankly, it doesn't matter what you use. Safety one, safety two, behaviorism. Yeah, even behaviorism. Um, safety differently. If you don't first have that trusting alliance with the workforce, frankly, nothing else you do is going to make any difference. Now, what we do as clinicians is we're eclectic in our approach. In other words, once we've got that trusting relationship, we can um you know do whatever's in the client's best interest what's the likelihood of um you know obtaining successful outcomes i see exactly the same in safety i'm not going to limit myself to one of those particular models once i've got that trusting relationship the odds are high whichever model i choose selectively and strategically is going to be viewed as benevolent in nature and much more likely to have, have positive outcomes again frankly if you don't have that alliance nothing else you do is going to make a lot of difference so i just wanted to point that out stop stressing out about which is the right model build that trusting alliance first and then become eclectic use what works that's perfect um so obviously you know that that article is great and i've definitely been sharing it i'm happy to share that with our our listeners as well so they can read up on it and like you said there are so many models and so many uh mindsets philosophies whatever we would like to term them as yeah. that are, are rolling around today um i think it is really great as a practitioner to learn and absorb as much information as you can and then remember the audience i guess is the other piece yeah. like you build the trust with the person you're building that rapport with the organization the people on the ground but not every model is right for every organization that's right. and that's one thing as a consultant i've definitely learned and seen i guess in the, in the last sort of eight to ten months you can't just take you know sydney decker's approach and say okay we're going to apply that to abc organization everyone is yeah. different um and not one size suits all and i think that yeah. applies to uh, health and safety professionals as well if you get stuck in that one mindset you may miss out on some very great gold nuggets um elsewhere um and the other thing is if you take on too much 
you may miss out on, you know, yeah. like actually learning, um, you know, appropriate techniques, et cetera, that may actually benefit you in the long term career wise, you know, profession wise as well. So I think it's very important to be eclectic in your approach, not just for you as a professional, but for those end users and those people on the ground that you're wanting to influence in a positive manner. Absolutely. Totally agree, Georgina. Perfect. Well, um, thank you so much, uh, Clive, for sharing your time and your insights, you know, with myself and, and my listeners. I know they would have definitely got some nuggets of wisdom out of you there and definitely, uh, you know, I'm sure they're looking forward to that declutterer uh, going to market sometime <laughs> soon. Not sure yeah. where they would find it. Perhaps RSCA might get on board or a Blackwoods or <laughs> some sort it, of manufacturer. Elon Musk, who knows? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, you're probably looking at much more of a high flyer than your RSCA, so let's go with and Elon Musk of the world. If you're listening, Elon, please feel free to reach out to me and I'll get you in touch with Clive. Yeah, um, so give, thanks. Uh, maybe give Greg Smith a ring, Elon. That'll be Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> the two of them working together would be interesting, so I'll have to let Greg know. <laughs> We've mentioned his name a few times. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Um, yeah, so thanks again, Clive, for sharing your time and, and your insights with the listeners. Um, I will reshare that article so that if anyone wants to, um, you know, have a read through, they can. Um, and if there's any questions or concerns, we can, you know, funnel them through to you. And I'm sure, you know, you'd be happy to to reach out and get in touch with anyone if need be. Absolutely. And thanks for having me, George. That was actually fun. Thank you. No, perfect. Thanks, Clive. So, what did you think of my chat with Clive? If you can't tell, I am a fan of Clive's work and definitely ascribe to his views on leadership and the need for leaders to build trust and possess integrity. Certainly, there's a few episodes in this podcast where I mention those words a few times. That's for sure. I also really like his idea with training courses on calling out the fact that most workers have been forced to attend a safety course, breaking down barriers and getting everyone on the same page from the get-go. And we can't go past his invention, the declutterer. We will have to check how Greg feels about it though. Anyway, please don't forget that you're welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn with any feedback, questions or episode ideas that you do have. Until then, stay safe.